You Hear podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. We are two days away from April 1st, which is opening day of the 2021 Major League Baseball regular season. I will spend each day in March previewing all 30 Major League Baseball teams in alphabetical order. So, today's March 30th, and I continue on with the Pittsburgh Pirates. So as you can tell, we're only two days away, but I still have a few more previews to do since I took the weekends off in March. So make sure to keep tuning in even after Thursday, which is opening day, to get the last few previews of the season. But we have the Pirates today, and this team, it has just been such a tough run for the Pirates fans and their entire organization. So as usual, I'll go through history, off-season wrap-up, position battles, starting pitching, relief pitching, bench prospects before I finish with Pakoda. And it is a dreary one. So the history of the Pirates, I mean, really since they last made a World Series appearance in 1979 has been negative. They have had only a few winning seasons. The last one came in 2018, but in 2020, they only had 19 wins in the shortened 60-game season. 2019, they were 69-93. and 93. 2018, they were above 500. They were 82-79, and 79. but then in 2017, they were back below 575-87. In 2013 to 2015, the Pirates kind of caught lightning in the bottle. They had a bunch of pretty talented players and uh, pretty talented, extremely talented players in Garrett Cole and Andrew McCutcheon. They got three straight wildcard playoff bursts from 2013 to 2015. But since then, they have instead traded away every single piece of talent because it didn't fit in to their direction or their philosophy. So the Pirates have struggled. And as a result, they have lost their relevance in Major League Baseball to the point where nobody talks or really seems to care about the Pirates and they just don't have enough winning to try and change people's minds. There is one player on this roster who is trying to change people's minds, and that's Cabrian Hayes, the ninth overall prospect in baseball right now, an absolute transcendent talent who I'm excited to talk about. He's the real bright spot. Otherwise, there might be a few players, former top prospects, who have struggled in their small sample size major league careers so far who could come out and try and do something but it seems like the reward for the pirates the past few seasons for playing well has been being traded out and that is the reward because you don't have to play for the measly pirates anymore but anyways so let's wrap up this offseason it truly was busy in the sense of management in pittsburgh purged every single older, talented player that they had, established players, I guess you could say, and that's what a rebuild really is, right? It doesn't mean that the Pirates are doing it wrong. I incidentally think they are doing it wrong, but they are do- they're doing the rebuild to the T. So they got rid of pretty much every starting pitcher they had in Jamison Tyone, Joe Musgrove, Trevor Williams, and Chris, uh, Chris Archer. Those are all the main departures, and they added a 12-year veteran, Trevor Cahill, They also added Todd Frazier, who since being added, I believe it was earlier in March, opted out of his contract and is now a free agent, which maybe you can't blame him for. He would have been a veteran on an otherwise very young team. 
And now I'll get into the position battles. I believe there are a few positions. Because we're so close to opening day, there might not be too many battles anymore because the opening day roster is pretty much locked. But there are a few positions that could be different, say, in a month from now versus opening day. So, catcher... This, this one is pretty much locked down. It's Jacob Stallings. He's a very good framer. He obviously has a very tough task this year trying to build new relationships with all these new faces in the rotation after everybody who left last year. First base, you have Colin Moran. He's been with in the organization for a long time. Oh, uh, excuse me. I forgot to mention that Josh Bell was a major departure for the Pirates this offseason. And while Moran is talented, he is a serious downgrade from what Josh Bell was for this team. He certainly doesn't have as high of a he of a ceiling as Bell did, and Bell took his talents over to the Nationals where he could be potentially a 3-4-5 hitter in on a team that could that has serious aspirations for a playoff berth. Second base, this is a guy to be excited about. It's Adam Frazier. He absolutely raked in spring, and his his offensive numbers have always been present. What he really lacked was defensive ability. But from 2019 to now, his defensive run save number went from minus one to plus five. So when he does that, he becomes an above average fielder. And if his hitting in spring is any indication of what type of hitter he can be at the major league level he can really go out there and hit. So he's going to be at the top of the lineup for the Pirates. Definitely a guy to be excited about. And then the player that everyone in baseball will be watching, Cabrian Hayes. He finished sixth in National League Rookie of the Year voting last year. He would have absolutely run away with it if he had just had more plate experiences and more exposure. He was another guy that really got screwed by the service time manipulation. He didn't get brought up at the beginning of 2020 because executives argued that his hitting wasn't there. Well, when he did come up to the majors, he hit five home runs. He finished 11th amongst all major league qualified hitters in isolated slugging. He was in the 97th percentile in hard hit rate and the 79th percentile in barrels per plate appearances. So Cabrian Hayes, he, he is as high of a prospect as he is because of his defensive abilities. He is absolutely excellent with his glove. And if he continues this hitting, he is going to be transcendent, like I said. He's already shown glimpses of that. He debuted in September. He was hitting 375. Batting average obviously isn't the end-all, be-all, especially in such a limited sample size in only 24 games. But this this kid is truly, truly special. He's 24 years old. He will play third base. He is already in the top elite third baseman categories. He's already comparing himself, or not even him, other people are comparing him to Alex Bregman, Chris Bryant, etc. So he on truly defensively and offensively can be one of the best players in the game in the future if he just keeps up this development, which at this point, there seems to be no reason why he wouldn't. Now let's move to shortstop. This was a position battle, but since manager Dave Shelton had has solidified that his guy is going to be Kevin Newman. And the main reason why Kevin Newman will be the starting shortstop on opening day is because he hit 645 this spring. It's really funny because Except for a few positions, maybe on a few teams, spring training 
alone isn't going to be the only thing that a manager goes by. And I'm sure in this case it wasn't. But for Kevin Newman to go out and hit that well in spring, he won himself this job. And maybe you could say the same thing. Scott Kingery played so poorly in spring that he lost the center field job that might have otherwise been his on the Phillies season preview that I did yesterday. Newman played so well that Shelton couldn't go anywhere else but him. So that's just Eric Gonzalez to the bench. Some other reasons why Newman won this job. In 2019, he hit really, really well from the leadoff spot, 328. 2020, he struggled, just like a lot of other guys on this team. They're hoping 2020 production can be the outlier in otherwise these these average players' careers. So defense is a struggle for Newman. He actually ranked 27th among shortstops in defensive runs saved last year. But if he keeps up, 645 might not be sustainable. But if he can keep a batting average above 300, if he can slug a little bit, that'll be huge for Pittsburgh. Now let's move to the outfield. Another really young, explosive player. It's Brian Reynolds in left. In 2020, well, I'll start with 2019. In 2019, when Brian Reynolds came onto the stage, he was 30% better than league average with the bat. He made more contact. He hit to all fields. He was spraying it all over the place was really seen as an up-and-comer in this league. And then in 2020, like so many other players, and you're even seeing it across so many different sports now, Reynolds succumbed to the trend of trying to hit for power, and it brought down all his other numbers. So 30% better than league average in 2019. In just his next year, he was 28% worse than league average with the bat. He hit for power. His barrel rate was good, 10.1% barrel rate, which actually isn't very good. It's below average, but he just, it's its a similar thing in golf. Roy McIlroy tried to emulate Bryson DeChambeau's power swing, and he saw his numbers crumble. Young guys like Brian Reynolds try to hit 30 to 40 home runs, and they're instead not utilizing their strengths, which is hitting to all different spots on the field so they're hoping again 2020 where he hit 189 they're hoping that will be Brian Reynolds outlier and instead he can continue to improve defensively and he can get back to his normal hitting above average self he will start in left but they also are not closing the door on him seeing a little bit of time in center field as well and that center field position it has been pretty much open for this entire spring training. Right now, I project that Anthony Alford will slot in there. Dustin Fowler is another backup option. Brian Reynolds, like I mentioned, could be a backup option. Alfred broke his arm a few seasons ago, which really halted his development and his progress, which was otherwise very exciting. Fowler was a former top prospect in Oakland system. I really think it could have gone either way. They give the slight edge to Alfred. And then Gregory Polanco. It's interesting to say it, but he really is a vet on this Pirates team now. So I'll bring you through his timeline a bit. In 2016, he signed an extension, five years, $35 He had a great season that year. And then in 2017, he got hurt. He didn't hit well at all in 2018, slumped all year long. He played well in 2019 before he got hurt again, stopped early. He began the season in 2020 on the COVID list, and then when he came back, he didn't hit well. So ever since Polanco signed that extension, he was seen as potentially a player that could bring Pittsburgh out of their hole, is the best way to put it. 
Polanco really struggles. He's only 29 years old. He's not young, but he's not even over 30 yet. So you think there could be more potential left in him where he can just be fully healthy. He's hit well in spring. He's played relatively well in the field besides one bad fluke, and it had to do a lot of with communication and wind and all that. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I, as as we see his numbers rebound, I think he can truly cement himself as a veteran on this team and try and earn himself a place out <clears throat> of Pittsburgh, which, as I noticed, as I mentioned, is the reward for playing well in Pittsburgh. Those bench guys I mentioned, Fowler, could see time in the outfield. Philip Evans could see time as the backup first baseman. He has a lot of potential. Unfortunately, he had to end his season early after colliding with Polanco last year. He broke his jaw. He was hitting 359 in 11 games before that, so obviously a minute sample size. But Shelton and the rest of the staff is really high on Evans just because he is so passionate. He's willing to put his body on the line to make a play for this team. And it didn't work out for him well in that case. He had a broken jaw to show for it. But he does just care a lot, and I think that definitely earned him a spot on the opening day roster. So now let's move over to starting pitching, which saw a complete makeover. All the stars that were traded away this offseason that went to really contending teams like the Rays and like the Yankees and like the Padres. So it'll be interesting to see how long these pitchers stay in this role for the Pirates. I'll get through them now. With some of those guys last year who went to contending teams, injuries were obviously still an issue. So the starting pitching finished third worst in the league in FIP and war. Very unfortunately, Stephen Brault, who is, is very well respected and liked around the league, he'll miss at least two months worth of time with a strained lat. He probably would have been your runaway opening day starter. Instead, it's Chad Cool. This will be his first opening day start. He had Tommy John surgery in September of 18. So as you will notice, as I go through all of these guys, all of them are wild cards in their own right. So it'll be important to see how Cole rebounds from his Tommy John surgery in 2020. He had a ground ball rate of 42.9%, which was only the second highest of his career. So it'll be really important when he's on the mound for the defense to play well around him. And that isn't always the case in Pittsburgh. Behind him, you'll see Mitch Keller, who was a former top prospect. People have been talking about Mitch Keller for years, and he's really been a gem in this pirate system. And he just hasn't reached that potential yet. In 2020, he had five starts. He had a 7-4-8 walk per nine rate. Second worst race among big league starters. His command just isn't there yet. And while he has good stuff, he doesn't have the precision or the discipline to either get it on the plate or when he does get it on the plate, his fastball doesn't have a lot of movement to it. So if you don't have a ton of velocity, you need another a lot of movement and he doesn't really have either right now. So hopefully in this full year, he can finally reach that potential that everyone is expecting out of him. He's no longer a former top prospect. He's no longer is under Jamison Tyon or or Trevor Williams or Joe Musgrove. It's it's Mitch Keller's time to shine. And maybe that'll be good for him, forcing him into a role where he has to produce for this team. 
Behind him, you have Tyler Anderson, who in 2019, another wild card. He missed most of the year with knee surgery. And in 2020, he did throw over 59 innings pitched with the Rockies. That was top 50 in the majors. So at least they have some durability they can count on with Anderson. But again, because he's recovering from injury too, there's going to be a bit of unpredictability. You also have TJ Brubaker. He pitched mostly in the bullpen last season for the Pirates, but because of all this shuffling, he'll see some time in the opening day or the starting rotation. And then the last guy will be Trevor Cahill. New face. He's a 12-year veteran. The Pirates are his ninth major league club. And in 2020, he did strike out a lot of hitters. 11.2 strikeouts per nine. 11 outings. Six starts. So he has, he saw time in both, and that brings me into my next point, which is when Stephen Brault comes back, Shelton hasn't turned down the idea of a six-man rotation. You have guys in this five-man rotation right now without Brault who have seen time both in the pen and in the rotation, so it'll be interesting to see when Brault comes back, how these pitchers are performing, and if any of them will move to the pen as Brault shifts in. Speaking of the pen... Closer is a huge question mark for the Pirates right now, along with where a lot of their innings and appearances are going to come from. I think right now the the closer job is Richard Rodriguez's to lose. He led the Pirates last year with four saves. So if that's any indication of how the closer was pretty much a question mark for the Pirates last year as well. He did tie for six amongst all National League relievers, though, last year with 34 strikeouts. So he has good stuff. Behind him, you could see Kyle Crick be in line for some save opportunities. And then some other guys that I'll briefly mention, Jason Shreve, Michael Feliz, and Jeff Hartlieb. Those are guys that you could see or you will see in the bullpen that have made the roster thus far. So... Because this team is so far away from Major League contention, you would have to assume that their farm system is pretty stacked. And on paper, it is, because they have four prospects on MLB's top 100 list. The first guy is Cabrian Hayes. I mentioned he's a top 10 prospect. The third baseman slots in at ninth overall. Behind him, you have the second baseman, Nick Gonzalez, comes in at number 43. Quinn Priester, a right-handed pitcher, is 52nd overall. And O'Neal Cruz, a shortstop, is 64th overall. So those are the guys on the top 100. I also wanted to give honorable mention to guys like Will Crow, who came over in a trade this year, and Miguel Yahuri, who came over from the Yankees in the Jamison tie-on trade. They're not ranked on MLB's top 100, but they are prospects who the Pirates would like to be major league ready in the bullpen this year. So now, that brings me to Pakoda and my philosophy on this team. Pakoda has them at 61 wins, and I'm going to have to go under. In the past four seasons, the, the Pirates haven't even been under 69 wins. But I just think the way that this roster is constructed, it is going to be so hard to find wins in the weakest division in baseball in the NL Central. I'm not even giving the Pirates the benefit of the doubt for being in that division. I still don't think they can bulk up on wins against even the Reds or the Brewers or the Cubs, who I think will all definitely be able to beat the Pirates pretty handily. 
And it's a combination of not having enough pitching depth and their defense not doing very well and not being able to score enough runs. Their offense last year finished in the t- pretty much fifth worst in almost every single category. 27th in the majors in batting average. They finished last in on-base percentage and slugging. And they scored a league-worst 210 runs, which prorated for a full season would have been their lowest output in a decade. So the Pirates are struggling right now, and that's why I think they will be in the 55 to 60 win range, closer to the 55 than the 60, I believe. So I'll close with this because there was some hope from 2013 to 2015 when some players were performing on this club. But just to put things in perspective, since the Pirates' last World Series appearance in 1979, 30 of those 42 seasons have been losing seasons. They have not won one playoff series since they made it to the World Series back in 1979. Their rebuild has been going on for 40, excuse me, for 42 seasons. And yes, they've had success in bunches or small bunches to be nice. It is up to the general manager and manager Shelton to manage for the future at this point. There are no expectations for the Pirates to come even close to breaking even at 500 this year. So, why not let these guys develop? Put Cabrian Hayes out there and let him shine. Put Mitch Keller out there in high leverage situations and see what he can do. See if Brian Reynolds can perform at the top of the lineup and prove that his low 2020 season was just an outlier. I think you will see the manager and this team do things that a normal contending team wouldn't do because the Pirates, frankly, have no other choice but to see what they've got. And I have been down on a lot of the Pirates' decisions this offseason especially because... They're trading away very, very talented players who obviously don't fit into their system or direction, like Tyone, like Joe Musgrove, like Josh Bell. But it's not like they got back either Major League Ready players or prospects with high, high, high ceilings. In the past, they've traded away Garrett Cole or Andrew McCutcheon and got back average to below average Major League players. In the past, they had done teenagers with a really high ceiling that they just weren't able to develop correctly. So I think before the Pirates even focus on the major league-ready talent that they have, they need to sit down and figure out what their direction is. Do they want to start young and pick up guys with high potential and just develop them correctly? They're probably going to have the number one overall pick this year, Jack Later is available. The pitcher from Vanderbilt, and if he's not available, Kamir Rocker will probably be available. So it's some, again, transcendent talent. But the Pirates have had transcendent talent before, and it just hasn't panned out in their system. So there is something flawed in the Pirates organization right now. And from the top-level executives down, they need to figure out what that is before the Pirates can even think about winning games. It is still a long 
uphill road for Pittsburgh in the coming seasons. But you build around guys like Cabrian Hayes. This is what baseball is all about, to get a prospect like him to build a team around. They've had it before in Garrett Cole and Tyler Glass now. Hopefully now the Pirates have more of a direction where they won't have to either waste Cabrian Cabrian Hayes' talent in Pittsburgh on a losing team, or they won't have to trade him away for minimal returns. So it is most important. Winning is not most important for the Pirates this year. What's most important is for these players to develop correctly and for the Pirates to go out there and get the number one overall draft pick and start to accumulate some really talented players for the future. So that'll wrap up my season preview of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Make sure, as always, to check the link in the bio of this episode for any previous season previews that you might have missed before I switched these episodes over to the Did You Hear podcast feed. So thank you for listening, and make sure to tune in tomorrow for a season preview of the San Diego Padres.